Watchers. I'm Terence Marshman Edwards. I'm Rhys Jones. And I'm Matthew Ford. And today we're going to be looking at some films that are on the bottom 100 of the IMDb chart. Bom, bom, bom. <laughs> Whilst we were in the lockdown period, we did a show where we looked at films that were on the top 250 of IMDb that we hadn't seen. And for every yin, there is a yang. So we also thought it might be a... (laughs) I would say we thought it was a bit of a laugh to have a look at things that were on the bottom 100, but... It's not funny. Yeah. It was such a good idea at the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what we did, which uh, deviated slightly from the top 250, we each picked a film that we hadn't seen, and then we picked one that the three of us hadn't seen, and we decided to watch that as well. So, Reese, would you like to share with us what bottom 100 film you watched? Oh, I will. I will. Now, on the bottom 100 list, believe it or not, there, there wasn't that many films I, I hadn't seen, which, which you know, I'm, I'm, I will watch fairly much any old shit. But... <laughs> can confirm. Yes! And some of that shit I can actually enjoy. Be it for it being shit and you enjoy it because it's shit, or because mm. I actually enjoyed it and didn't think it was that shit. This one, however... <laughs> This one, the one I'm going to talk about, is a film called Holmes and Watson. Help! Fire! Call the fire! Your Majesty, may I present to you the greatest detective of all time, Sherlock Holmes. And Dr. John Watson. I love you. Watson! Oh! What a looker, right? She is stunning. (gasps) Which came out Christmas time of 2018, which did fuck all money at the box office and absolutely made Mr. Will Ferrell fuck off to Netflix. That's basically what happened with that film. Right, I'm going to give this film the benefit of the doubt and, and, you know, watch it and try and enjoy it because it's a comedy. I'll get past the original reason that I didn't go and see it in the cinema. It wasn't because of the terrible reviews, etc., Y and Z. I didn't go and watch it because I am a massive Sherlock Holmes fan in the purest sense. And the idea of a film that was a parody or a spoof of Holmes and Watson made me cringe and I didn't want to go and watch it. That's the only reason I didn't go and watch it and it was a taste issue with, with the subject material. So I thought, right, let's let's not be such a twat. Let's let's watch this film on its own merits. Let's get over myself and try and enjoy it for what it is, which is a comedy spoof based around uh, Holmes and Watson. Uh, it's a it's a real shame when I start this off because it's a real shame because because it's it reteams Will Ferrell with John C. Riley who have been in many films before together and you know to me Will Ferrell is a marmite comedian you either like him or you hate him it's this you know it, it, to me it's very he's a tough sell on some things and he's brilliant in others I, I I'm kind of in the gray area of the marmite sometimes I like marmite sometimes I can't stand it but like <laughs> I'm a complex fellow <laughs> Holmes and Watson 
Let's try and be a little bit more success with, with my review here. Um, positives. Right, let's move on to the negatives. Um, <laughs> no, gee, God, where can I start? This film, the best way to describe this film is it thinks it's the modern version of Pink Panther with Peter Sellers. It thinks it is the bee's knees and they are the cleverest comedians of all time and they're so funny because all they've got to do is say words in a certain bad accent and suddenly everything's funny don't you know oh and Queen Victoria's fucking gorgeous it's like oh god I'm going to strangle them to death all right here's the main problems with the film badly written badly executed badly acted awfully directed wafefully boring tediously unfunny and then there's moments where you raise a smile and then you tell yourself off for finding that moment funny it is absolutely shockingly shit and i i mean shit i mean i don't have any words to describe this film other than swear words so i'm trying to refrain from going too far on my, my look i'll make it really easy don't watch this film just don't. Don't do it. Don't waste your time. If you're looking for something to make you laugh, you're better off looking at kitten videos on YouTube. This is this is just dire. I like Anchorman. I love Elf. Mm. I am not an anti-Will Ferrell guy, but this film... I went in with open arms expecting to be made to laugh because, you know, I'm a massive James Bond fan. I'm a massive spy espionage genre fan. But I also love the Austin Powell movies that take the piss out of it all. I'm a massive geek. I'm a massive Star Wars fan. And Spaceballs is one of my favourite films of all time because it takes the piss out of me. This film just takes a piss over me. It is absolutely <laughs> shit. And I've got nothing else I want to talk about it. If I'm going to give the classic watches out of five. Minus five out of five. Oh, we're in minus figures. I've never we're done minus five. Figures. Shall we begin the autopsy? Dr. Grace Hart. A woman doctor? Impossible. Fortunately, we have a real doctor. Yeah. Would you like some heroin? Terrible. I don't know if any of you have seen it. No. <laughs> you would have needed to pay me. Uh, the original trailer just looked so dreadful and so unfunny. I was just like, no, no. That's the You'd funniest bits me. in the trailer. That that is how bad that film is. Oh, oh yes. Christ. Oh dear, dear, dear. Yeah. Well, I think Matt and I dodged a bullet on that one, but we dodged that one and Matt stepped straight into the uh, path of another one. So, Matt, what <laughs> your film? Oh, I went for a horror film. Of course uh, you did. I went, of course I did. Of course I did. True to form. I went <laughs> with a film called uh, Slender Man. Where is my daughter? People don't just disappear.
glass half full kind of kind of guy. So let's go with the good news. It's not the worst horror film I've ever seen. And that's it for good news. That's all I've got for you, I'm afraid. That's all I have. I can see what they were trying to do with it. They were trying to do a 21st century ring. Bit of background, the film is based on an internet meme dating back to 2009 that was passed around forums and chat rooms. Short stories put up online, usually people being stalked, abducted or traumatised by this mysterious figure called Slenderman. Now, white middle-class America got outraged when a 12-year-old girl was nearly stabbed to death and her friends who attacked her claimed it was Slenderman who made them do it. So, what's the logical oh. thing you do with this? Why? You you go and make a horror film about it. Of course you do. Oh, my whoa, God. Whoa, 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 whoa. So, what? They... It's all there. It's, go and look it up. Go and look it up on Google. It is, yeah, it, it happens. Somebody, so... somebody nearly died because her mates, her psycho mates... Yeah, yeah, because Slenderman, Slenderman told, them to do, told them to do it. Then a horror film comes out of it. Poor form. So, yeah, that's the background. Right, the film itself. It doesn't help that the teenage girls in the film can be summed up as the blonde one, the ginger one, the white trash one. Instead of having, ha having half a dozen characters who are only there to get bumped off, why didn't the writer, David Burke, have two or three characters and then flesh them out? Also, does Burke have a teenage daughter? Has he spoken to teenage girls? Does he speak to teenage girls? That's a bit wrong, but you get what I mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> because the dialogue is like something from a 90s video game. My personal favourite line from this film that actually made me pause and almost made me spit, spit drink out of my nose, where one of them goes, he's like a computer virus that infects your hard drive, but instead of your hard drive, it's your brain. Oh, my God. Yep. Um, it's like no one involved has actually watched a horror film. If you're relying on jolts to scare your viewer, pace them out, set them up. John Carpenter and Sam Raimi, they're, they're masters of doing this. There's a section towards the end of Slenderman that is, no word of a lie, is a solid quarter of an hour, a quarter of an hour of jump after jump after jump after jump. In the end, you're just like, J stop it now. Just, just, just stop. <laughs> and what is, it, what is it about Hollywood horror films relying on ropey CG for, for their scares? CGI isn't scary. Carefully set up scenes, editing, music, practical effects, that's scary. Slenderman could, there, there are potentially some decent scares in it, but every time, every time there's the, the boom, the moment, it's, it's CG. It's CG all the time. To sum up, it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work on any level. It's a horror film and it's not in any way scary. And if you want to stick this on the poster, I've seen episodes of Teletubbies that are more creepy than Slenderman. It's him.
they're, 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 I've, I've, if I was to review it, it's a one. The, the visuals are all right when it's not CGI, but that's about it. Oof. One out of five. Come on, Ted. Share us up. Here we go. Share us up. Tell us some some good news about about your film. I think we should perhaps stop uh, talking in uh, talking in riddles, and I should actually just get on and tell people what I what I subjected myself to. It was cats. Yay! (laughs) Greatest film ever. Greatest film ever. (laughs) Roll the clip. (laughs) Are you going to try for a different life? A new day has begun. <laughs> okay, that's enough. Right, so I'm going to start this review by talking about another film. I do have a point, so you'll just have to stick with me for a moment. Okay. okay. Now, that's... That film is Six Degrees of Separation. It's the 1993 adaptation of a stage play by John Guayer. If you haven't seen it, it's actually pretty good. I'd advise you watch that rather than Cats. It's about a rich couple who get involved with a con man who pretends to be the son of Sidney Poitier. Now, the the con man's con uh, is that Poitier is directing a movie of Cats and anyone who coughs up the money will get to be an extra. Now, there's a, a slightly tense family meeting. They have to admit to their kids they, they've basically been done over. And their daughter comes out with this line. I thought you hated Cats. You said it was an all-time low in a lifetime of theatre going. You said Aeschylus did not invent the theatre to have it end up a bunch of chorus kids in cat suits prancing around, wondering which of them will go to kitty cat heaven. <laughs> the reason that I mentioned the film, uh, that statement perfectly encapsulates what I feel about cats. So if you're lucky enough not to know what I'm talking about, Cats is an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. It's been infecting the cultural landscape since the early 1980s. And it's based <laughs> on a poetry collection, uh, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats by T.S. Eliot. So the musical has... Let's be generous, a slightly flimsy premise. It's not surprising, it's a set of poems put to music. They had to find a story somewhere. So a group of cats meet. One of them will get the chance to be reborn and come back for a new life. The music is repetitive, dull, keeps going. And obviously the big number that everyone knows from it is memory, which has been used in talent shows. (laughs) <laughs> for years, and it's massively overdone. So this is the basis that we're working from, and now the 2019 film adaptation directed by Tom Hooper. He won the Best Director Oscar for The King's Speech. He also directed the 2013 version of Les Miserables with uh, Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway. So you'd think, solid, solid choice, you know, safe pair of hands. Considering what I've just said, a a film version of Cats was already going to have a bit of an uphill battle. 
<laughs> oh. Yeah, the rumours are true, boys. It's bad. But, and this is the, the bit that really blows my mind, it somehow manages to be even worse than they make it out to be. Mm. Okay, my first thought as I was watching it, and I remember messaging Chakrub about it, and my first thought was, they have hands. Why do they have hands? <laughs> <laughs> And and like I said to you, yeah. like I said oh, to you, yeah. if that's if that's the first thing you're worried about, this is going to be a long film. Oh yes, it's what you were saying Matt, about CGI not working. So obviously, the CGI in the film was absolutely ripped to pieces uh, when it was first released. There was a big rush to get an updated version, which fixed some of the issues. Didn't fix them all, clearly. Uh, the weird human-cat hybrid design doesn't work. You look at it and your brain goes, that does not compute. And I don't really think it's... Because I will say it's the uncanny valley and the closer it looks to human, the, the, the more you can't kind of thing. No, it, it just... You can still see their faces, but it just doesn't look right. The proportions of the cats are also cock. At one point, there's one holding a knife and fork and it looks like she's holding a sabre. And then other times they are it just no. Uh, the tails <laughs> seem to have a life of their own. Several of the cats look like they're wearing fur coats on top of fur. Uh, one thing, though, I did love, Judy Dench. God bless her. She plays old Deuteronomy. She described her costume as five foxes fucking on my back. Uh, and it's difficult to argue with that, really. Come on, let's be fair. And even the worst one, Rebel Wilson's character takes her fur off yeah yeah actually off mm -hmm. underneath and for some reason they decided to put cgi faces on mice and cockroaches and i was just no just no i started talking about the cast and might as well keep on going with it it's generous to say that the the, the acting's a bit of a mixed bag <laughs> One end, you've got the absolutely dreadful. So, you know, James Corden, Rebel Wilson, both of them earning their worst supporting Razzies. Jesus Christ. And then you kind of move over to the middling. That's pretty much everyone else. They're all right. Nothing spectacular, just nothing particularly bad. And then you've got one or two that are all right, you know, kind of. The standouts for me were pretty much Idris Elba. He oh, plays he in the galaxy. <laughs> he seems... The thing I liked about Elba's performance is that he seemed, to, he seemed to be one of the few ones that noticed how ridiculous everything was. He realised that what he was involved in and just decided to have fun with it. I didn't realise until two-thirds through the film that he was Macavity. I just thought he had Tourette's. Every time he goes, Macavity, and then disappears, yeah. I just thought he had Tourette's or something. Oh, no, 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 Macavity, the mystery cat. Um, but no, so I, I quite enjoyed him as, as, as the, the nominal villain of the piece. The other performance that I, I did like, despite what I said earlier on about the song, um, I did like Jennifer Hudson. Now she plays Grizabella, the, the glamour cat, 
who gets the big song memory. If I was being slightly disingenuous, I'd say you could definitely tell she was pitching for a second Oscar because uh, the performance, she, oh, she belts it. She belts that number, but it kind of works. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm on board with you now. This, this is fine. Uh, I honestly don't know what Ray Winston was doing in the film, frankly. <laughs> His, his very small role could have been played by literally anyone else. Similarly with like Taylor Swift as well. I know she they gave her the big McCavity McCavity number. I'm like, oh okay, yeah, it works, but why doesn't need to be you particularly? For someone like, you know, for playing Grizabella, you know, you need someone who's got those who's got that voice who's, who can put that emotion in. So I can understand, you know, kind of Jennifer Hudson's cast in there, but really, there is something really depressing about seeing actors of the caliber of Ian McKellen, Judi Dench, Idris Elba in this. On the subject of depressing, um, <laughs> if, if the whole thing wasn't bad enough, Andrew Lloyd Webber decided that he needed to add a new song just for the film, a song called Beautiful Ghosts, and it's just as bland and insipid and saccharine as everything else around it. It actually took me a while to realise, oh yeah, this is the new song, because it just sounds so much like everything else that's in there. Now, I'm sure that I'm sure that the studio, I'm sure the production team were thinking, right, we've got oh, we've got it on our hands now, you know, Oscars galore. First Refuse came out, it was quite telling that uh, all of their For Your Consideration ads were quickly pulled. Uh, the only major award that it that it got a nomination for was a Golden Globe, ironically, for Beautiful Ghosts. Everything else it got removed from any of the, hey, look, we've made all of these Oscar films. Why don't you, uh, why don't you come and have a look at this? However, it did sweep the board at the Rousey's. So it won every category it was nominated in. It took home six out of the eight awards. And the only reason it didn't win the other two is because they were, it was nominated twice in the same category. Uh, so we've got West, uh, Worst Picture. Tom Hooper joins a rather elite club uh, of three. He's the third person who has won the Best Director Oscar and the Worst Director Rousey. Oh, and if you're wondering, the other two people, uh, the late Michael Cimino, and the other one is Kevin Costner, and now Hooper third. Okay, this is this is pretty much all I want to say about the rest of it. Uh, it was knowing there was still an hour to go. I started drinking. <laughs> <laughs> And it still <laughs> made that last hour a slog. <laughs> I would be generous to give it one out of five. <laughs> Here we go!
Okay, we are back. We've each talked so far, as you well know, about our individual pain of uh, films we chose to individually watch. And we have now got the exciting part of the show where we will be chatting and reviewing as a team for the first time in a long time. Woo! I would like, yes. Woo, I wasn't expecting the whoop, but the whoops are good. Yes. <laughs> the film we chose from the bottom feeder list of IMDb was a Nick Cage film from 2014 called Left Behind. We all have a right to know if we're going to die. We're going to die. I have no spoilers, no flaps, no elevators, and if I run this thing dry, no reverse thrust. I need some room. I just really need you to know how much I love you, no matter what happens. Dad? Looks like the end of the world. One of these days the sky's gonna break. Left Behind was directed by the stunt legend Vic Armstrong. I'm gonna put it in very basic terms before we get into this film and just explain what the film is about. The film is about, basically, it's a disaster film. It's a disaster of a film, but it's a disaster film. It's basically mm. the loose genre, I will put it on there. It's about people just suddenly go missing and people who are left behind. That's basically the start of the film. And that's where I'm going to start this chat off. Gentlemen, I'm going to ask, I'm gonna ask, ask a question of you all here so we can just see where we all are with this film. That is on the low okay. bottom feeders list of IMDb. Uh, question number one. <laughs> out of five, we'll just go straight for scores to get this conversation going. Out of five, Tez. Zero. Zero out of five. Matt. If we're talking for laughs, it's a four. <laughs> but as a film in its own right, I'd be with Tez zero. I, I'm, I'm, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I have to give it one out of five because, because just the one is for effort because there are moments where I generally was kind of enjoying it. But like I said before, where I was about Watson Holmes and Holmes and Watson, there are certain films that are shit that I enjoy. This. This is one of those rare occasions where I was kind of enjoying it. <laughs> because it was so bad. <laughs> no, I'm just going to point out, we all watched it individually and we're now chatting about it. But I I watched it in two sittings tonight. Mm. So I've watched the last hour today. Now the first, it's an hour and a 50 minute film. I watched, I watched 50 minutes, 45 minutes of the film. And I thought, okay, it's set up the stuff. People have vanished. Okay, this is, and this weird, bad, cheap stunts, bad CG of a plane, and, and Nick Cage just literally taking the cash from the paycheck for this and just going to his retirement. And it was just nuts. But the last hour of the film, it literally became something that I did not expect it to become at all. I was not expecting it to become a Christian disaster film. I was really not expecting it to be. What well, I've never seen a piece of Christian cinema like this. This was insane. Oh, yes. 
it, it feels like it was designed to just piss the world off. It's so bizarre. It, it's the only people who won't be offended by this are, are you, your insane, God bothering Donald Trump supporters. The people on that plane, you've got the Muslim passenger. Yeah. He, he can't go to heaven because he worships the wrong God. Yeah. You've, got, you've got the dwarf, who are the only reason I can figure out that he's there is just for comic relief. The and Islamophobia. Don't, don't, uh, don't forget that. He, he's, he's the, the major source of antagonism against yeah. the, the yeah. Muslim passengers. So. Not just him, he hates everyone. He's just there to hate... He, he, he might, his character might as well have been called Grumpy. It was just really, really <laughs> bad. No, the point is, though, they're not characters. Not a single, <laughs> single person, personality in that film was a character. They were all types. They were all types, and some of them were almost stereo were very close to stereotype. There wasn't a personality in any of it. No, not at all. None of it. Which, which is one of the major failings of the film. Of which there are many. There's so many failings. So many failings. Like, but like I, like I said, I was not expecting it in the last hour to suddenly become. Christian propaganda and preaching to us that if we don't buck up our ideas, God's going to come, wipe out half the world, the ones who are worthy of disappearing, and then leave us to die for seven days I, and seven years. I I, I was literally yeah. flabbergasted. I was just like, holy shit. For those of you that might be struggling with the theological side of this, basically what happens about 40 minutes, 40, 45 minutes into the film is the rapture, which for those who know, it's the, the good will ascend to heaven and the people that are left have got time to atone for whatever sins are stopping them going to heaven. Um, otherwise, they're fucked. That's what <laughs> this is about. That's what happens. That's what happens about 40, 45 minutes. When everyone disappears, that's the rapture. Now, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. I, yeah. <laughs> I am not entirely certain about the religious denominations that the various characters are meant to be. We've obviously got several that are um, slightly, I don't want to say fundamental, but I they never actually make clear. It's like whether they are Baptists, um, you know, Presbyterians, whatever. My point being, the rapture's not a secret. In, these, in religions that believe it, the rapture isn't a secret, isn't a sudden... It's not Thanos and the snap. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I can put it. You know it. You know it's coming. You know it's happening. You know that that's God's plan. So when it starts happening, everyone's running around going, "Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God!" People have been thinking, "It's like surely uh, there are people that go, oh yes, it's the rapture.' Okay, fuck, I'm not here. Oh God! Well, I better behave myself." I I I unearthed some interesting interesting things about Left Behind. And I think it's only fair that I share them with you. 
It's based on a series of books. Yes. There are 12 books. <laughs> 12 <laughs> books. 12 books in the main series and a further four that are prequels and sequels. So 16 books in this series, right? Here's the other thing. That's not the first film they've made of Left Behind. There was a trilogy of films made in two between 2000 and 2005, which go more into the books, because in the books there's a character who is basically the Antichrist. It's, oh, it's nonsense. So essentially, we've just watched, it's a reboot. What we watched was a reboot. What? Yeah. Yeah. Reboot. And um, yes, clearly Nicolas Cage is just taking the money and running. I mean, the man is not known for his quality control, especially kind of once you hit kind of the, the mid 2000s onwards, you'll do any old tat. But oh my God, it's particularly egregious here. Right. Um, one thing I also want to share with you, because I found some of these and this, these just, yeah, I think this sums them up. Some of the reviews that this film had. Oh. Right. Shoddily made sensationalist propaganda. Oh, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Profoundly yeah. moronic. Yes. The writing is horrible, the direction is clunky, the special effects are not special, and the <coughs> acting is so wooden, you could make a basketball court out of it. Yeah. An ignorant piece of garbage. <laughs> Woe unto those who buy a ticket. <laughs> a lousy screenplay to the pitiful acting to the laughable special effects. This supernatural thriller is super bad. A real crash and burn. And this, this one is just. I tried to give the film zero stars. Our tech system won't allow it. <laughs> Here's the kicker. That last one was the reviewer from Christianity Today. Oh, wow. So, oh. so you're talking about it, you know, kind of only being, you know, it, it managed to, to piss off most Christians as well as everyone else. Not surprised yet, me, though. Not surprised yeah, and at yet all. The and yet one of the guys who wrote the book um, actually thought that they'd done a brilliant job and it was better than the book. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. And the book is shit. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had a sneaking suspicion. I really did have a sneaking suspicion when it got to the end and it was, oh, it's only just beginning. I was like, oh, fuck, fuck this, is, this is... This is a sequel. I was going to say they're setting up for a sequel. They get set turns out now, sixteen fucking books of it. You know, no wonder they're trying to set up for a sequel. Uh, luckily, they haven't managed to get anything so far. But you know, never say never. Um, as a film, let let's take the theology out of it. Let's take the yeah. religion out of it. Look at it as a film. I think you can, because yeah, I think yes, it is about the rapture, but it's not. Yeah. As a film, it fails on mm -hmm. every level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On every level. The script is dreadful. The characters are not characters, they're types. 
the scenes there are scenes that should should have popped they should have gone you know like oh you know a little bit of conflict a little bit of thing nothing nothing and whether that's a combination of the wooden acting or the crap script i don't know the scene where the daughter goes to the priest oh jesus and it's like why <laughs> why did you why are you still here i didn't believe you just you go over i've seen better acting in hallmark movies it's dreadful. <laughs> but you see, that moment, if that had been handled with a scintilla of style, that could have been the moment where you kind of go, oh, oh shit, yeah, well, right in the feels. Oh, best of it, didn't care. I'd, and that, that's it. That is is why I, I had trouble with the film. I didn't care about any of them, any of the characters. Didn't care. Absolutely. And it was, for me, it was also the, like you pointed out, like some of the moments in the film, but like, it, it kind of like jumped from one issue, stroke, drama, stroke, thing going on to the mm. next in like such a breathtakingly fast way. Like, you know, within like probably 10, 15 minutes of the film, you went from uh, a Muslim man on a plane being... Um, you know, vindicated for his religion and which God, which God are we playing to? And, and then you quickly yeah. cut to the daughter is, you know, about to kill herself from a bridge for no oh, fucking scene. reason. And, and, you know, and then you cut to like, then suddenly it's a, it's a quote unquote airplane ending disaster movie where they're trying to land a plane, you know, without a runway. Mm. Oh no, we need a light to see. We need to see the light. I was like, yeah. that is such a, fucking cliche of a fucking disaster film that is the disaster film cliche is that we can't land this plane we need a bright light so i can yeah. see where i'm landing like fuck and off like like you just jumped and literally it jumped from like like you said like and then the priest scene and you're just sat there going i don't give a fuck about anything at the moment like this is just ah oh, my brain is scrambled to try and fit i'm trying to figure out what what point you're making and then when you come to like the propaganda bit and you just sat there going Seriously, is what are you? Mm. Are you? This is this was made in two thousand and fourteen. Like this is insane. Mm. How how was this yeah. made? The other thing that that I think I think sums up kind of just how bizarre the film is. Bizarre how, is the word. How bizarre and disjointed and weird it is. It's the scene on the plane where. The woman basically pulls out a gun and oh. suggests that yeah. whilst she's yeah. been asleep or in the bathroom or something, <laughs> the plane has landed and her ex-boyfriend or ex-husband has taken her daughter off and she didn't notice. I was like, really? Oh, my God. Quite literally. Oh my god! And there was the the drug addict British woman, yes, who her only role was was to she decided to get more high because she'd figured out it was the rapture. And I was just sat there sat there watching, going, "What? This what? character <laughs> did to get high? Because she she got more high, got high, turned drugs now because of the rapture. She's figured out it's the rapture. What?" Yeah. And 
like, and they didn't explain the rapture at all. I didn't even know it was the rapture until Tez said it was the rapture then. You know, they explained it in a little bit, but you're sat there going, what? Yeah, they kind of they kind of held on to that one until about two thirds of the way through where everyone's kind of going, oh, you know, why have all these people disappeared and why are the clothes here? Yeah. The clothes are still here. The clothes, the jewellery, the, the mortal, you know, kind of the physical trappings don't go. So when the happens they are you know kind of heaven you know kind of they're ascending to heaven but naked okay fine whatever um uh, but to me as soon as it was like oh there are people disappearing i was like yeah it's gonna be the rapture before i knew i was kind of like that that's why that's why people disappear they tend you know when when you set up something like this it tends to be you're looking at end of days kind of stuff the whole thing, the whole thing is just a wasted, a wasted opportunity, a waste of talent, a waste of time, a waste of resources. It's like they don't know what the film is trying to be. It's, hmm. all, it's all, like the obvious message is there and it's battered into your face. Hmm. But then they can't quite decide then what vehicle the film is to get the message across. Like, is it a disaster film? Oh, we've now decided it is. We have a massive disaster ending. Or like, is it a, a family drama? Um, no, it's not that. No, I won't do no. that. Is it a, uh, a theoretical discussion about Christianity, religion, and a great, no, apparently it's not that, you know, it's, it's just, you know, is it is it a supernatural thriller? We're going to keep you guessing. No, this it's it's God, right? Thanks for the heads up there. After ten minutes of worry, um, non-existent worry, it just felt really just oh fucking lazy, just really bad. Like <laughs> just <laughs> you know, I haven't got like, I haven't got enough words to just say how bad this film is. It's it's literally laughable. I gave it one star because you could. I am sat here thinking it, it could easily be, you know, the it could be easily be a drink along game like the room, you know. <laughs> you could easily sit there you and could, do drinking do games with this, you know, it's mm. terrible. I I personally I, I personally think you are both being unnecessarily harsh. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought it was I honestly I thought it was hilarious. <clears throat> I loved it. I, I was ah oh, I was I was I had tears in my eyes at points. It was it was amazing. Just when I watched it at the beginning, I actually had to pause Netflix and check that I was watching the right film. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because um, I was like, because I was there thinking, I thought this was a disaster movie. Because <laughs> for a good 40 minutes into that film, it you've got the music i don't know what's going on with the music what is going on with the music in that film the the, the, the point and shoot visuals the sleepwalking acting it it felt like a rom-com it felt like a really average rom-com right up until the rapture comes it's such a massive tonal shift it literally feels like tez picked up on it before it the first like 45 minutes of the film it stylistically you'd think you were watching a hallmark you know channel movie yeah. like yeah some kind of like christmas bad special you know shot on a budget of fiver it was just oh <laughs> yeah well 
Nick Cage's character is called Raymond Steele. You know you're in trouble. <laughs> you know this film is not going to be great. <laughs> the name's the best bit. <laughs> uh, was anybody else worried about Nicolas Cage when they watched that film? Did anyone, like, think, is he okay? I've been worried about him for over a decade, mate. I, I've given what, up the he, ghost on him. <laughs> he looks like, what, literally him or the character? Because the character no, couldn't him. Have... Literally Nicholas Cage. Is he all right? Because he just he looks tired. He looks like he's he's just had a roast, a Sunday roast, and now he needs a nap. Um I'm telling you that that film, he probably did a week's work on that film because like most of his role is in the uh the cockpit of the plane. And then there's a couple of scenes at an airport, and that's it. And like Leah Thompson from Back to the Future fame, who played the mum. Now, talk about dialing it in, and like that's probably a day to two days' work. And she got and Leah Thompson. Mm. I, I was, I was literally, oh, cool, Leah Thompson. I've not seen her in, in anything for years, like you know, so she did that comedy series of hers in the 90s. And then I, I sat down and watched the film, and she was in the scenes as the mum who was really religious and had a pink Bible and mm. uh, again. And then, oh my word, and then, and then she's gone, she's one of the vanished. And now you're like, right, so she she was literally on set probably for two days at the maximum. You could have yep. shot her on in a day, it was just like, wow. <laughs> the poor yeah. actress who played the daughter, she did, she was probably the on set the most of the time, running from different weirdly oh. excitable, you know, car crashes and disasters. And oh, you yeah. join the docks on her journey, her, her quote unquote journey through the film, her physical and emotional fuck off journey through the film. <laughs> She literally was joining the dots along the way. And and there was moments I was like, okay, so she's now got home. Through all this plethora of disastrous 101 movie making set pieces, you know, for fuck's sake, that cars crashed into windows at a shopping mall. For fuck's sake, a school bus fell off a bridge. Like, these are like the... You know, these are benchmark tick marks in classic moments in film. And they, 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 they are always the things that happen in a disaster yeah. film. And the she literally movie walked cliches. through them all. And then she got home and then she went, do you know what? I'm going to go to my local church. Yeah. Why? This character is not religious. It's like, this makes no, no sense. It's that whole thing of she, she then figures out that her mum's not there and, oh, it must be this and I'm going to go and have a look. The other thing that really are kind of, uh, we're talking about the tonal shifts and jars and everything, the, the, they were going for trying to, trying to do jump scares at certain bits, and I was a bit like, why are you doing yeah. this? Like the, the the bit in the hospital where there's somebody appears and she pulls a coat back. Oh, yeah, yeah, the whole children ward bit as well. The children ward oh, bit, God. and then there's one of the, the shots, somebody comes out with a, I was just like, oh, really? No. Just no. Yeah, just no. I've got nothing else to say about this film. Can I, can I quote you my favourite bit of dialogue? And yeah, we'll, we'll finish it in the air then. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> where, where the air hostess who doesn't disappear, she just goes, Ray, I'm scared. Are you? And then Nick Cage just turns to her and he goes, I will be as soon as I have the time. 
arrest. want answers and believe me so do i and i'll do my best to get them i heard some doctors talking it's not just here it's all over the world one of these days okay so next time on the watches what we're going to do we're going to do something really exciting when i say really exciting i mean generally okay we are going to be going on an excellent adventure and a bogus journey, especially we are going to be facing the music. That's right, next time The Watchers is going to be having a little bit of fun and revisiting two classic films that we love and watching the brand new chapter, which has taken the best part of a couple of decades to get to the cinemas. And finally, it is in the cinemas. We're talking, of course, of the universe of the Bill and Ted movies. That's what we're going to have a chat about next time.